0: We come this morning to the empty tomb, and with centuries of worshipers, indeed the world over, the heavenly host, angels on high, we lift our voices in singing, he is risen, Christ is risen. If the tomb were simply empty, it would have been enough. Jesus came to the tomb to bury, to grieve, to hold on to love. She was not seeking Jesus. She thought she knew where he was. If the tomb had simply been empty, it would have been enough. Mary came with devotion and a grief-stricken heart to hold on to love. She did not come expecting to see the face of Jesus. She thought she knew what he looked like there. If the tomb were simply empty, it would have been enough. Mary came to the tomb lost in her grief, and there she was found by Christ's love. She did not come calling his name, but he came calling her name. She was lost and he found her there. She did not know where he was, but Jesus, he knew where he would find her, and he knew who she was. If the tomb were simply empty, it would have been enough. But Christ comes to us more than enough in all sorts of ways.
1: Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. You know, not much is said about Mary in our four Gospels. Uh, All we really know from those stories is that she was a follower of Jesus and that she was a strong supporter of his ministry. You actually have to look into the Gnostic Gospels to discover that she was a true companion to Jesus. And she was known as one of the disciples. She was as involved in his life as the others. But the one thing all of these writings agree: Mary Magdalene was there at his death. She was there at the tomb, and she was the first disciple to proclaim the Easter message that he has risen. While we don't have that backstory, it is clearly in those last days that we know of her devotion and love and the depths of her care for Jesus. We know it because of how determined she was to stay present to it all. And we also know it by how disoriented she was there in that dark moment at the tomb. You see, days before the Easter morning, she witnessed that bloody, brutal, and violent death of Jesus. She was one of the few who could stand to bear it. And she watched as Joseph of Arimathea claimed the body and she watched as Nicodemus prepared him for burial. And she watched them put him in the tomb. These pictures certainly were now ingrained in in her mind as she was wandering there in the dark by the tomb. For clearly even sleep had been taken from her. It was there in death and darkness that Mary bumps in to Jesus and stumbles onto mystery. When I was 13 years old, I became a follower of Jesus. I had met a new friend and when I started attending junior high, and um, she was on my soccer team. And her family invited, actually her mother invited me to a revival in a stadium. You know, the good old-fashioned Billy Graham kind of days I'm talking about here. And somewhere in all of that moment, I found myself gently called. And I took that famous walk down those stadium stairs and went to the front and asked Jesus into my heart. For the next uh, several uh, weeks and months, I attached myself to her family. Because I knew if I stayed there on the weekends, I would get to go to church with them on Sunday morning. And I just ate it up. I loved it. I went there to hear the songs and the music and to... And to understand this story, I bought a Bible, and I would wake up early in the morning while it was still dark, and I would go into my closet because I shared a room with my sister, and heaven forbid I wake her up, and I would read that Bible from cover to cover. And I had questions Did I say I was 13? lots of questions riddled through those pages of that Bible. It was in the dark when I bumped into Jesus, but it was a, a few months later when I would trip into mystery. My next-door neighbor and best friend since the second grade is named Billy Bailey. He was my, free, my dear, dear friend. We were inseparable growing up, and right up until this time in my life, when I was 13, and spending the time in the dark with my questions, we spent all of our days together. You know, doing the things that girls do with their boyfriends. (laughs) Like riding bikes. (laughs) Going to the creek. Getting crawdads. Digging... (laughs) digging up worms so we go fishing all the things that girls do with their boyfriends (laughs) until one day my sister she came running up into the room that we shared and she told me some troubling news she told me that billy had been run over He was on his bicycle and he was racing down our alley to beat his mom, dad, and his sister home from the Brahms ice cream store that was at the end of our street. You see, they were all there to celebrate his parents' 20th wedding anniversary. And the day was tragically interrupted when a car full of teenagers hit Billy head on. You see, unfortunately, there was a fence that lined that alley and it created the perfect blind spot and both Billy and that car were simply going too fast for death to not have its day. I really couldn't believe it, the news that she had given me, and so I jumped on my bicycle, and I went to the end of that alley. And as I was getting closer to it, I remember thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, summer's about to end, school starts in a couple of weeks, and he is going to have one heck of a story to share. Because the year before, we had a friend whose father had backed up over him, and he had tire marks to sh- for show and tell on his legs. And so, I was pedaling and thinking through this, and then I, I got to the site, and there are no words when you see a crumbled-up bicycle, and puddles of blood. And we had come through that spot so many times together, and we knew. You'd get up on your pedals just as you would go around the corner to see. And I wondered, why, why didn't he get up on his pedals? How did he not see? And who was driving that car? I pedaled back home really fast, and I thought, you know, I really just need to see Billy. And so I asked my sister, Where, where's mom? I, 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 need to, I need to get to Billy. And she said, well, mom's next door with his parents. And so I, I started walking next door. And once again, that denial voice comes into my mind. And I'm thinking, oh, if, if they're all there, then Billy's already home too and i knocked on the door and my mom answered and i entered the room and when billy's mom saw me her son's friend companion that she had seen every day with him she cried out in a voice that i will never forget she wailed my my baby my baby my baby is gone and she grabbed a hold of me and wouldn't let go i'd lost my breath my soul was dumbfounded but my senses were sharp they say grief numbs you but i think it simply cracks you open to where you become familiar with every noise Every sound around you. This is where we find Mary on this Easter morning. Death and darkness and the loss of her companion was in her grips. People come to Jesus in all sorts of ways. Sudden death, sudden loss, sudden changes in your life. Certainly can bring with it a path to God. For in these moments we wrestle. We wrestle in that dark place. Death, loss, grief and unanswered questions they can be the very path that break us through any quiet resolve that we may follow into with God. And instead we We wrestle for our own answers, for our own truth, for the real word that's already been written on our heart and is not covered in every piece of those pages. It is in these places that we establish our own relationship with the companion while I was in the dark, I looked up and knew, and noticed that I was not alone. I had discovered a God, who stayed present with me, companion with me in the most intimate of my experiences. And this friend understood, and like Mary, it was in this place, when our intellect failed us, that we began to understand what you can only experience. That Jesus is present. The tomb is empty and love always wins. I tripped on the mystery and drank from the rock. Hallelujah. I have seen the Lord.
2: The Scripture says that after Mary had originally gone to the tomb while it was still dark, that she noticed that it was empty and that she ran and went and told Simon Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. And as they came to see this mystery, they noticed too that the stone had been rolled away and that Jesus was not there. But the Scripture says the disciples returned to their home. But in verse 11 of John's Gospel John says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She had obviously come back for the second time. And I believe partly she was confused, as Reverend Janice had said, and she was just simply wondering. But I believe also she came out of a sense of duty an obligation for Mark's gospel reminds us that Mary and two other women had brought spices so that they might anoint Jesus's body you see it was customary in the first century for relatives to visit the deceased body for several days after a person's death to anoint that body with oil and spices since the Jews didn't embalm their dead during those times so Mary returned to the tomb and as part of her civic duty or perhaps her familial obligation to anoint Jesus' body. But more than that, I believe that Mary returned to the tomb because this was all she knew. This was where Jesus was. It certainly was where she left him. Isn't that what we do? We return to the graveside, of our deceased loved ones. Because that's where we left them, right? One year ago to this very day, on April the 8th, 2011, my family and I returned to the grave of my mother, whom we had buried just the previous afternoon. And like Mary, We too came out of a sense of duty and obligation, but more than that, we came because that's where we left her, and honestly, we didn't know what else to do. We had gathered by her bed six days prior, and for the next 48 hours, we waited with bated breath until she took her final one. But as custom, over the next several days, we spent those times accomplishing the necessary tasks of getting her final things in order. Constructing her obituary, planning her funeral, writing her eulogy, and accepting the condolences of hundreds of family and friends and well-wishers amidst our grief. The day after the funeral, all that necessary formality was over, but our mourning was not. We knew of nothing else to do but to go and stand by her graveside. Because in our grief-stricken minds, this is where she was. It was certainly the last place we'd seen her. Like Mary, we returned to the place where we had laid our loved one to rest. And like Mary, we all stood weeping beside her grave. Those were some excruciatingly difficult moments. And we had finally had enough. My family and I made the long, painful, almost torturous walk back to our car. And it was then that I overheard my father, who had spent every day of the last 64 years with this precious woman who lay resting in her grave. I heard him reach over and say to my niece Megan, who was helping him walk back to the car, I wish we didn't have to leave her here. imagine that I begin to weep again. (laughs) That's not hard for you to fathom. Death is so hard. Death is so painful. Death is so final. Or is it? Mary, whom in the midst of her grief and tears, heard one whom she had assumed to be the gardener call her by name. He said, Mary. And in that instant, she recognized the familiar voice. It was Jesus. Jesus had done just what he said he would do. And he rose again. He had risen. Jesus was alive. Our very fate hinges on this fact of the resurrection that God is able, and that God is able to do. And God is able to do far more than we could ever think or imagine. And that in all things, in all things, God works everything together for our good, even death. Much like Mary heard Jesus, I heard the Spirit speak to me as I made my way back to the car. And the Spirit, in the most reassuring, gentle way, reminded me, this isn't the end for your mother. Just as the grave wasn't the final stop for Jesus... Reminding me again of what I already knew to be true. From Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians where he says, We do not grieve as those without hope. The message puts it this way. First off, you must not carry on over them like people who have nothing to look forward to. As if the grave were the last word. Since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring back To life, those who died in Jesus, our very faith hinges on this matter of the resurrection. God does what God says God will do, and Jesus is alive. Like Mary. We each come to the tomb in our grief. And as a result of Jesus' resurrection, we now leave the tomb with hope. For this tomb, which was once occupied by our Savior, is now empty and serves as a reminder to all of us gathered here today that there is hope beyond the grave. Death never again has the final word in our lives. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Death is swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Like Mary, I came to the empty tomb amidst my grief, and I found hope. I have most assuredly seen the Lord.
3: People come to Jesus in so many different ways. Some come in the dark, some come weeping, and still others find a way to come cracking a smile. People always seem to notice that I am a person who likes to smile. You're always happy, Michael. Why are you always happy? I don't know. I just am. But there are times in my life when my smile on the outside did not match how I felt on the inside. My college years happened to be one of those times. You see, in college, I began to wrestle with certain Christian traditions that I was taught in some of my older, former churches. How many have former churches? (laughs) Absolutely. I began to deal with images of Jesus that I inherited from others. Now, you may know some of these other images of Jesus. Fire and brimstone Jesus. Have you heard of that one? I like to call this one, Insurance Salesman Jesus. The world is going to end soon, so you better get your fire insurance, you know that Jesus? The Jesus who's a spokesman for a particular political party. Or maybe you know the Santa Claus Jesus, who's always looking to see if you've been naughty or if you've been nice. And then you take it a step further and you see Big Brother, Creepy Jesus. Always watching your every step, whether you're in the bedroom or the bathroom, right? (laughs) These images of Jesus were more about caring for my afterlife rather than impacting my real human life in the here and now. And as I received and carried around these traditional images and ideas in my life, these images of Jesus, they began to condemn me. You see, the Jesus of my college years condemned me for having a small glass of wine, condemned me for voting for progressive political parties, condemned me for watching rated R movies, not even Schindler's List, for Pete's sake. The Jesus of my college years condemned me for questioning the idea that a beautiful newborn baby is somehow evil, is somehow depraved, And somehow full of sin. The Jesus of my college years condemned me for loving someone of the same gender. Also for just being me. Even though I was always smiling in front of my friends, in front of my family members, in front of my colleagues. On the inside, you see, I was torn up. I was unhappy. I was frustrated. These images were killing me. I literally felt like dying. Like I was the one being crucified. I don't know how many times I would walk down to the school parking lot and go to my car, open the door, and just sit in it. Sit, and I would cry and cry and cry. Full of shame, I cried. Full of pain, I cried. I cried that hoping my days ahead would not be all the same. And then like Mary Magdalene, Amidst darkness and amidst weeping, I found myself needing to release everything that did not affirm me as a child of a loving God. And so what did I do? I had to stop clinging to what my former churches believed about Jesus. I had to stop holding on to those images that only served to destroy and limit my life. It was as if Jesus was saying to me, like he said to Mary, do not hold on to me. Do not cling to me. That's what those images were saying. And so I released those hurtful images of Jesus, and what did I do? I began to embrace a Christ of my own experience. And as I did so, I began to smile, not just on the outside, but on the inside yet again. And as I resurrected the affirming Christ presence within me, I began to see a different Jesus. I saw a Jesus who touched the untouchables. In Scripture, someone who loved those who were not supposed to be loved. He reached out to outcasts. He affirmed every person he met as a blessed child of a loving God. He personally, one-on-one, gave hope to the hopeless. He gave life to those who had no life. And Jesus did not condemn or tear down ordinary people. He energized. He awakened new life in everyone he encountered. You see, he resurrected people's lives wherever he was, even before Easter. You see, Mary, in our story, she sees Jesus. Jesus calls out to her, and she wants to hug Jesus. She wants to cling to Jesus. She wants to hold on for a dear life. You see, she wants to cling on to the idea that resurrection solely happened to Jesus. But Jesus corrects her. Do not cling to me. Do not hold on to the idea that resurrection is all about me. You see, I truly believe that the message of the Easter story is not that resurrection happened to one person 2,000 years ago, that person being Jesus. No, the message of the story in my eyes is that resurrection does still happen today, every day of our lives. And when you stop accepting the Jesus that other people tell you about, and you actually start experiencing the Christ who lives within you, then you are showing that the resurrection is alive and well today. When you feed the poor, when you help out your neighbor, when you give to community organizations and churches like ours, you are making resurrection happen in the lives of so many who need it. And when you, in your own life, when your life circumstances have simply worn you out, You feel as if you've been dealt the short end of the stick for all too many years. When you feel you cannot continue to go on anymore. And yet, you somehow draw courage. You draw strength. You draw will from within to breathe new energy into your life and to somehow keep on carrying on. Then, like Jesus, my friends, you are experiencing resurrection. Even when you stand in the face and fear of death. And you look at it, and you can say, not even the grave can have the last word in my life. That is the power of the story of resurrection. People find Jesus in all sorts of ways. Me, I had to release the Jesus that was given to me and resurrect Christ's presence from within. I have seen the Lord.
0: People, come to Jesus in all sorts of ways. You may be stumbling. You may be bumping into grief. You may be tripping through rocks all around you. You may think you know answers. You may think you have none. You may know Jesus' name. And you may not. This day, we proclaim the good news. Indeed, Christ is risen, and even more so. No matter where we are, no matter how we are, and no matter who we are, people come to Jesus all sorts of ways, and people of God, Jesus knows your name and Jesus knows where you are and it would have been enough that the Christ has risen from an empty tomb but our God is more than that our God has called each of us by name let us celebrate this day in the light listening that we might hear it Christ is risen and is with you alleluia Amen.